welcome everyone to Finance Podcast Week and this special live stream panel, Money Mindset, with Christina Weiss from Wealthy Wealthy Podcast, Jeremy Newsom from Broke to Woke, Patrice Washington from Redefining Wealth, and Catherine Morgan from In Her Financial Shoes. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, Finance Podcast Week is a week of live stream sessions much like this one with top finance podcasters and experts from around the world. We also have exclusive pre-release episodes on the Finance Podcast Week channel available for free. You can replay any of these panels on the Finance Podcast Week podcast channel. Download the Podbean app and follow the Finance Podcast Week channel to receive notifications in real time about all of the live streams and specially released episodes that we have available throughout the week. Finance Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetization platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for this session, you can see that we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience. And for, any, uh, for everyone listening, you can also start your own live stream for free on Podbean. The content of Finance Podcast Week is for informational purposes only, and you should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on our site, live streams, and podcasts constitute a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Podbean or any third-party service providers to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments. And so now we'll go ahead and hand this off to our fantastic panelists. So take it away, guys. So sorry, guys, I believe that we're supposed to have another panelist here to help lead the discussion, but um, they haven't been able to join yet. So I'm going to start off. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about each of your journeys and in terms of what money mindset means to you and how we'll start there because there's a lot there's a lot to unpack. It's 2020 was definitely a year for many people in reassessing their relationship with money. And so. We'd love to hear from you guys about what that means to each of you and what you've seen in terms of the relationship that people have with money shift over the past year. So Catherine, uh, we'll Yeah, hi guys. So I'm over in the UK. It's um, it's the evening over here. Not quite so sunny <laughs> as it is in the US, I think. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me today. So my name's Catherine Morgan. I'm the founder of a company called The Money Panel and my journey is very much kind of linked in towards the emotional aspect of how we deal with money. Like I've got a background of um, being a financial advisor for over 20 years, but I had a terrible relationship with money growing up. And to the point where I was like in 30,000 pounds worth of debt and I was giving people financial advice, but I wasn't following the advice myself. And for me, there was like one particular light bulb moment in my life that completely changed everything. And that for me was when my second son was born. Um, we unfortunately almost lost him to, um, to sepsis and bacterial meningitis when he was five weeks old. And at the time when I was in the hospital with him, the doctors were like, were using so much jargon like they just yeah they kept using this word like sepsis over and over and over and I had no idea what sepsis meant and as a mum it made me feel really guilty I felt shameful that I didn't know what the signs and symptoms were of sepsis and when I went back to work at the bank a year later I was diagnosed with PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder and I went into this spiral of debts when I was working at the bank I remember sitting there thinking like 
feel like they don't understand money, they're not taught about money at school. And it led me down this path to actually explore more about my emotional relationship with money and how I was using money as a tool to make me feel a void in my life where I felt out of control. And so I was always seeking to control money. Now, I'm a big believer in, you know, firing and equipping oh, financially resilient and codependent, not uh, sorry, independent, not codependent with money. Um, so for me, my experience was no matter how much financial education I already had, I wasn't following the right behaviors because of the meaning that I was attaching to money. And actually, like in the UK over here, the biggest impact I've seen for a lot of people actually is about the power of focusing on savings as opposed to debt. So even people like who have been in significant debt during COVID, the shift for them to actually focus on increasing their savings balances, which is more of an abundance mindset, a kind of more than enoughness mindset, has really helped them to actually pay down some of their debts and get out of that kind of not enoughness, that scarcity mindset, which keeps people stuck in those kind of debt, reoccurring debt cycles. So that's a little bit about me and my journey. And I'm really happy to be here today to kind of dive deeper into money mindset. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Catherine. All right, we're going to pass it to Christina now. And I believe Jeremy has joined. So we're just coordinating, making sure he can call in and everything is coordinated there. So Christina, while that's happening, give us a little bit of your journey and um, your experience with money. Yeah, mindset is so powerful. And, you know, I really teach the idea that to build wealth or, or financial abundance, which financial abundance is meaning plenty of money, that there's surplus, you have enough to live your life experience. You don't feel like you're just in the grind month to month and can't get out of that trap. And the to really move towards that in what I call the trajectory of wealth as opposed to the trajectory of the opposite of wealth, which is debt or just being what I call the net zero, where every single month you're just barely getting by regardless of how much income you make. So wealth creation is this combination of mindset and skill set. You know, it's it's the both and. But the mindset piece is such an important piece, and that's why we're having this conversation. And our money mindset and our relationship with money comes from our childhood experience, like all of our other baggage. You know, we bring our, our financial money baggage to our adulthood, just like all of our other baggage that we, you know, the gifts we got from our parents, the good and the bad. And, and we're really programmed with this money mindset by the time we're about seven or eight. And what that means is that many of us are adults that are still in this subconscious pattern of a seven or eight year old. And meaning just really attached to narratives and beliefs that are so hidden and underneath that we don't even know we're behaving in them. And that programming comes from that childhood experience. Like, what did we see mom and dad do with money? And I say, what, and I, when I even work with my clients, it's like, what was your mother and money? Let's talk about that. Like, give me some childhood experiences and memories. And then what's your dad in finance? Let's like really look at these two aspects. And then how did it work together? And were they married and they had these conversations or argued? Were they divorced or, you know, really dive into 
what those what those narratives were at that young age and even write down like where where maybe we still carrying those like even the words like i can't afford it or there's never enough or you have to work really hard for your money or just you know rich people are greedy whatever those those that language or you know that we heard or saw as children we're still carrying those in most cases and how we know that is by the state of our finances and so you know my story is that i started you know i i mean i was actually born into a trailer home and i don't like to you know say that rags to riches story cuz it's just so uh, you know, so overused in a way, but I really do like to think of myself in that case because those beginnings were very, I mean, you know, where it's, it's food stamps and it's, it's powdered milk and it's, it's all the clothes or hand-me-downs. And so that really created for me this, this two ideas. The first idea was, you know, some people had it and I didn't, and it really depended where you came from. And so I was stuck in that mindset for a long time. But then, you know, from a young age, what I realized is that when I could be entrepreneurial at a young age and I could start making money, I realized that I could buy things that allowed me to fit in with all the cool kids because being, you know, being the poor kid, I never got to fit in. I was always excluded, you know, with those that I wanted to, you know, feel part of those groups in, in elementary school, middle school, and even high school. And so when I started doing that, I, I created this belief system, again, subconscious, that I could buy my way to acceptance. I could buy my worthiness. I could buy being included. And so on one hand, it, it helped me fit in. And, you know, I got to have those type of better experiences as a child. But as an adult, what I attached money and income to is I worked hard. I made a lot of money and it felt good, but I was never satisfied because I was really trying to fill that hole of unworthiness and and that I'm not good enough. And, you know, I'm not even, you know, maybe I don't deserve having this money. And so I was always trying to still buy my way to success. No matter how successful I got, I had to buy the next thing to feel like I would be included. And what that created for me was the same thing was debt. And, and you know, the more money I made, the more debt I got into, because I was just trying to continue to buy that fit into that kind of that next level of, of acceptance of that next social status, if you will. And that went on for a long time. And, but I was so, so that was one mindset that I, I, you know, was, I was stuck in. And part of that too, is that no matter how much money I made, there's that piece I kept buying things, all the labels, all the cars, all the houses, all the emblems, you know, so that I could fit that part. The second piece to that, another piece of the mindset was that, you know, as long as I make enough money, all my problems will be solved. And I believe that too, that the answer to all my money problems is just to work harder and make more money. But I really had this, I didn't deserve the money. So no matter how much I made, I just, I just myself in these broke situations and, you know, and I couldn't figure it out. And then I find myself as, you know, even though I'd made tons of money in real estate and I was super successful and I led my city in every category every year, I wound up in this finance, like what I call financial existential crisis where I couldn't feed my children and we had to take charity just to pay the bills. And, and what I was doing is real, was really recreating my childhood experience, regardless of the fact in a year I'd make more money than my parents would make in a lifetime. And, you know, I just, it was such a head scratcher to me. Like, how did I make all that money yet I'm completely broke with, you know, debt and, and IRS liens and, and you name it. So, you know, it was at that, that 
pivotal point for me that I just realized like there's got to be more to this money mindset and just this money equation than meets the eye because it's seriously it's, it's not about working hard I work hard it's not about making more money because I make more money year over year there's something more to this and so that just sent me on this journey to really unravel what what are the what were those beliefs and narratives that I was still running as a child and what was the skill of money that I needed to learn that wealthy or rich people you know they were just they they what I learned is they just they they run by a different set of strategies and rules when it comes to money. Absolutely, Christina, that's just I think so apt for so many people. And I believe we have Jeremy here on the live. But before we go to Jeremy to lead the discussion, um, I just want to pass it to Patrice from the Redefining Wealth podcast. Patrice, we'd love to hear your journey into money mindset and a little bit about your story. Thank you so much. So again, my name is Patrice Washington. I'm the host of the Redefining Wealth podcast. And I feel like Christina and Catherine are my long lost sisters. Somehow (laughs) a lot of our journeys to um, improving our money mindset, same thing. I had a real estate background similar to Christina. And then similar to Catherine, I went through a um, very difficult pregnancy uh, many years ago now when I was pregnant with my daughter. And I will say that for me, my big thing at Redefining Wealth is teaching people that wealth is so much more than just money and material possessions. And oftentimes when we get into this, uh, you know, wealth building conversation, people just want the tactics, right? It's skill set. It's like, well, please tell me which budget I should use, which is the best app, which investments should I choose? And what I've learned now in over a decade as America's Money Maven which is my moniker in media, is that you can talk about budgets and credit reports until you're blue in the face, right? You can give people all of the tactics, um, but the truth is if we don't start to shift our behavior, um, nothing's really going to change because it's not a matter of what we know or what we don't know. It's why we don't put into effect what we do know. And in order to change behavior, I believe the root of that is having to change your beliefs about money, about success, about wealth, and all of those things. So in in my world, I came into this, um, you know, thinking that coming from South Central Los Angeles, from a disadvantaged neighborhood, I literally took the advice of my elementary school teachers, which were, look, if you get good grades and you make it to college, you'll be fine. And I literally thought that was the recipe for financial success. Go to school, get good grades, work hard, you'll be fine. I did that. I went to college um, on grants and scholarships, dean's list, uh, started my first real estate and mortgage brokers during my senior year in college as a business major and made seven figures by 25 years old. And I literally thought, I had made it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I did the things. You know, first grade teacher Ms. Boynton said to do do these things in this order, and I did it. Um, and so I thought that as long as I saved and you know, quote unquote, diversified, that I should be more than okay. And I did what I knew, I guess, to do at that time. Um, but when the recession hit around 2007, 2008, I was actually in the hospital on bed rest. I had taken a fall down the stairs at 20 weeks pregnant and went into full-term labor, full-blown labor. And uh, I remember the doctor saying, ma'am, you know, I'm sorry, but this baby's coming any minute now. There's absolutely nothing that we can do. 
And all I did was what I knew to do at that time, which was pray. And long story short, my daughter did not come early. She came early, but I, I was in the hospital on bed rest for another 10 weeks where I had to make a choice to surrender because I had 16 loan officers and real estate agents who were calling me every day, freaking out because on the news, the banks that we work with were closing down left and right. And the thing that stressed me out was my credit score, right? Missing a payment, the credit score, all the number stuff. Um, and I remember when my doctor came in and said, Patrice, if you don't stop stressing out, you're going to leave here two years in a row with no baby because the year before I had a son prematurely and he died after five hours in my arms. And that was the first time that it, it I guess, clicked for me that, okay, I think I've done what they said to do. I've done the basics, but what else is missing here? And so for me, even the belief um, from my background, which is you don't talk about money, you don't bring it up around folks, you quote unquote, keep people out of your business. And so for me, even though I was in a financial space in the financial sector in a way, I wasn't comfortable asking for help. I wasn't comfortable saying, hey, I don't know what I don't know. What am I supposed to do, you know, in this circumstance? And I share that because it's very hard for us to, I think, grow our money mindset or shift our money mindset if we're carrying shame and guilt and embarrassment behind what we don't know and what we haven't figured out because many of us think, well, I'm smart, I'm educated, I got good grades, I was on the honor roll or I graduated from wherever, I have a job, I should know this. And I think the big shift for money mindset is when you just surrender and make it okay that you don't know what you don't know because there's so many ways to get help, but we have to be honest and upfront about where we feel um, challenged or insecure in this area. And once I started to ask for help, um, it's amazing. More than enough people were willing to help me get back on the journey of rebuilding my life. And that's basically what I try to do on the podcast is share that wisdom, not always just about financial tactics, but also about attitudes, mindsets, beliefs, um, ways of being, behavior that are going to help you finally do the things that you've heard, but now all the other clutter is not in the way. Amazing. Thank you so much, Patrice. I believe we're going to hand it off to Jeremy now. Jeremy, are you here with us? <laughs> I finally am. Yes. You are. Welcome. Welcome to Money Mindset. So we're going to hand the panel off to you. And before we do, we'd just like to hear a little bit about your story with Money Mindset as you have the Broke to Woke podcast. So welcome, take it away. Of course, I do wanna say thank you so much for helping me get in here. I apologize, I was a few minutes late. That's not my normal protocol. I just, for some weird reason, my phone app was being weird. But thank you, uh, everyone who is here and ladies for your incredible insight. The way I'm currently listening to you is just so revealing for how many people struggle with money and our beliefs about money and our thoughts about money and our ideals about money. The beliefs that we have, like we all mentioned, have come from our parents, but they might also have come from teachers. They might have come from pastors. They might have come from family members, friends and family, TV, media, movies. So many intriguing aspects will filter into our lives accidentally. 
And it's those filters that we need to go back and check and change and update. So my story is in 1994, I was six years old and an award-winning film called Forrest Gump came out and I watched that movie and I really related to Forrest Gump because I've always been a little bit of a weird person. <laughs> um, I've been, been eccentric most of my life and I really related to the character in the movie, Forrest Gump. People always thought he was weird and strange and dumb and everyone always called him stupid. But ironically, if you go back and watch the movie a few times, he's incredibly, incredibly smart. He's massively wise, he's truly genuine. He's very uh, free flowing. And about 78% of the way through the movie, Forrest Gump, the character, says that Lieutenant Dan invested in a fruit company and that they no longer had to worry about money anymore. Well, team, that was just such a ridiculously mind-expanding term. I had never in my life heard the phrase, we no longer have to worry about money anymore, because I was dirt poor. The term dirt poor means that, you know, your feet and clothes and shoes have dirt on them because, well, you live in a dirt house. And I was dirt poor when I was six years old. And I lived in a, a city 30 minutes south of where they filmed the movie Deliverance. So it was out there in the woods. And when I heard that phrase, I immediately was inspired because I had never heard. We don't have to worry about money anymore. So I asked my dad, dad, what's investing? And what is the fruit company? And I'm sure all of you have seen this movie, but a lot of people might have missed that part of it. And my dad told me about the stock market and he told me a little bit about Apple computers. So I begged him to invest into Apple because we wouldn't have to worry about money anymore. And, you know, at the time we didn't have much money. So my dad told me what most parents will tell their kids when they ask for things. Listen, Money doesn't grow on trees. You can't just go out and invest in Apple. This is a movie, this is fiction. It doesn't work this way, it's not that easy. Not everyone can just go invest into Apple. It doesn't work that way. Excuse after excuse after excuse. But all I wanted to do at six, and most children, boys and girls, when they're six, seven, eight, all they wanna do is pour into their family's lives. Their moms, their dads, their brothers. They want them to no longer have to worry about money anymore. Most children are altruistic and giving and helping and philanthropic. So when I was six, that's all I wanted was to give money for my family. And I thought that investing Apple was the way to do it. So I went and picked blackberries, wild blackberries from the bush. And I sold them door to door in the summer of 1994. Sounds like a Brian Adams song. I know. <laughs> and I, uh, I made $1,500 when I was six years old selling blackberries. And I bought into Apple in 1994. And if I had still those shares to this day, they'd be worth about $16 million. And so that was my story of how the simplest, easiest notion, one thought, one idea with massive action can be revolutionary in life. So that's, that's kind of my story. Fantastic. Thank you, Jeremy. So this year has definitely been one where, uh, you know, people's relationship with money and interaction with money and how they, you know, how the role of money in their lives has definitely shifted over 2020. I mean, a lot of people have just had a, a transitional and quite intense year. So I just, you know, as we move through this panel, I just wanted to ask each of you, um, 
what you've seen in terms of that and what are some good things that came out of, you know, 2020 in the past year, pretty much. And what are some things that, you know, really kind of caused people to wake up and reassess their relationship with money and the ed- and the energetics of that. So, um, Christina, we'll start with you and then we'll move. So it's a question. It's, it's how did 2020? Yeah. How did 2020 redefine the relationship that people have with money and the energetics of that, that, that you've seen with your clients and that you've seen just kind of overall, um, over the Yeah. Well, the 2020 for me was, it was an interesting year in that so many, like so many awarenesses come out of that year. I think for, for a lot of us, for me, I'm a big real estate investor. And so April one hit and all of my tenants quit paying rent, <laughs> except I think one. And, you know, all of a sudden I was way in the black and then all of a sudden I'm way in the red. And we didn't know how long that was going to last. Real estate's come back with a vengeance since then, thank goodness. But so, you know, it's kind of that awareness where I thought it was pretty safe and secure investment wise. And then all of a sudden it just, it everything upended. And now that caused me to change strategies and to really look at things and to pivot. But what saved me was was really because of that emergency fund and having a runway and having cash and and to have that surplus or that, you know, the money sitting there to cover during the the lower times, not just the the high times. And you know, when we're fully leveraged to the hilt, that's what we're giving up. And that's what creates that financial anxiety and stress is because a little dip happens and we can't cover the dip. And then, you know, part of that too, it's not just the cash reserves and making sure that we have liquidity in some in some form, whether we're an investor or not, it's just making sure we have cash. And and when we have access when we have cash or access to cash, that's really what buys peace of mind. Even if you're heavily vested and you don't have any cash, it doesn't have peace of mind because you know you can't pay, pay your bills with your investment properties, so to speak. But there was that piece that that you know just was a reminder of like how quickly things can change and to be prepared for the worst don't just like always like look after the best the second piece for me personally was then that's like okay i need to radically adjust my lifestyle because the cost of my lifestyle so i made i made big decisions of of uh, moving and lowering my expenses and really just tightening 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 as much as i could my spending to meet the current situation of the of the economy at the time and my current finances. And that's just it, is that what happens is, you know, in in there's this thing called Parkinson's Law of Money. And Parkinson's Law of Money says that expenses will always rise to match income. So when we start at fifty thousand, our expenses are fifty thousand. When we make a hundred, they're a hundred. When they're two fifty, our expenses are two fifty. So our lifestyle creep continues to go up to match that income. It's a law. And so, and then what happens, the second piece of Parkinson's law says what was once a luxury becomes a necessity. So when our lifestyle, kind of the cost of our lifestyle and the experience of that lifestyle, you know, we get used to it and then we don't want to adjust down. And so we always want to keep that margin and variability between our earnings and our spendings and, and keep that if it's 10%, 20%, but our spending always needs, we need a margin between 
you know, those two, those two pieces, income and, and spending. And then that what that means is that when income goes down, we need to adjust our spending at the same time. So, you know, there was, for me, there was a lot of awareness there of, you know, some things that I was doing really well, but then some reminders of like, yeah, man, I, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't really prepare for something like this. Now, granted, I was able to adjust and come out great, but, but those were just some of the, the, some of these financial money principles that are always at work, even though we don't know. And then, you know, catastrophe happens and then we're not prepared for it. But then just as a money coach and I have a money school and those that go through my school, you know, but the, so many of my clients, they, again, they weren't prepared. And so it just created so much financial tension and stress and concern because, you know, what do you do when things shift? So, you know, it's pretty, again, it's pretty simple. It's like, if we can really just look at these two principles, really that we need cash, we need those emergency funds or what I call the runway. And to know what that runway is, like how many months can we last if income goes way down or disappears completely? And then, and, and you know, have, have some type of safe bet and peace of mind built in. And then again, just to, to always be a relationship with money, a healthy relationship with money, Many people, you know, we're avoiding our money. We're afraid of it. We're not in our books. We're, you know, we're just, you know, we're afraid to look at the bills. And and that's a telltale sign that we, you know, a relationship with money is fearful. You know, we, we don't, we're afraid of what we might see, or maybe we'll have to make some adjustments or changes. So it's, it's better just to stick our head in the sand. And so, you know, with the, we're, with our relationship with money, the other piece to, to kind of help us during these times is to be very intimate with it. Know every dollar coming in, every dollar going out, to track it, to to want to spend time with it so that it's easy to make these types of adjustments. And, you know, that's that's what I saw is that that so many people were just avoiding it, just kind of crossing their fingers that things were going to come back and come back quickly and ultimately getting themselves, you know, in, in a deeper, you know, in a deeper hole. So, Anyway, that's that's a lot of what I experienced. And just and then the final piece to that is I think what COVID did in so many aspects of life, including including the financial piece of life, is that that, you know, just brought awareness, you know, the places where we're stuck, where we're not paying attention, where we're avoiding, where we're, you know, where we just maybe don't have the mindset or skill set necessary. And that, you know, um, is kind of a truth teller in a way. So that's that's really what I saw, and you know, um, it real it it offer, offers this real opportunity for us to make change, to make adjustments, and I assume that's why a lot of us are here, why everybody's here. It's like, hey, I want to get better at this, or I want to be prepared for, I want to get myself out of this situation, or be prepared for for maybe what's next. Yes, absolutely, Christina. Thank you so much. And I think you're right. For a lot of people, when they get overwhelmed, it's it's that shut off, right? It's the shut off idea of oh, I don't want to know what the bill was, right? <laughs> I don't want to look at the credit card statement or whatever it was. So that's that's actually, yeah, I think a really common experience for a lot of people. Now, I want to pass it to Patrice, and then we'll, we'll come back to this. Um, but Patrice, what have you seen um, over the past year? And obviously your podcast is called Redefining Wealth. So in terms <laughs> of that, um, right, like, speak to that a little bit. Yes. So for my audience, I actually overwhelmingly heard from people that they were glad they had started to focus on the pillars before COVID. And so in my community, I teach based upon the six pillars of wealth. And for us, money is actually the sixth pillar. Um, The first pillar is fit. It's about being 
mentally and physically well. The second pillar is about people creating relationships that matter uh, personally and professionally. The third pillar is space, setting up your life to support you. And then faith, believing in something greater. Fifth pillar is living your life's purpose. And then at the end of all that, we get into money. And so because COVID had us quarantined and locked down um, because it was a health scare as much as obviously more than just a financial thing. Um, in our community, I actually heard people saying like, I'm so glad I had started to take better care of myself or I'm so glad that I had, you know, I had started to go through therapy and deal with my childhood trauma and deal with all these things because I think I would go nuts, you know, being in this space for three months, six months, nine months, a year. Um, and so I heard, the, I, I heard the other side. I heard, thank you for not making this entire thing just about money, because if I had to sit home and only dwell on money, I wouldn't know what else I could be doing that could actually be moving my life forward. And because I have these other areas, um, you know, because I've been focused on my personal and professional relationships, I'm getting calls for gigs, even though I'm technically, um, you know, laid off right now, or I'm getting, you know, connections to different folks. I've been networking more, even through these social media platforms. It, it really brought, I think it created the time and space for people to really start to dig into the other pillars and remove that clutter because what we say is clutter is the, the physical manifestation of chaos in your mind. And I really think that, you know, we always say, oh, there's not enough financial literacy here. I think that basic financial principles are good enough to get most people by. That's what I truly believe. I think the reason that we cannot focus on them is because the clutter in our relationships, the clutter in what we're maybe avoiding about our health mentally or physically, the clutter in our actual space, um, you know, because we're not actually involved in work that we love, whether we do it full time or even as volunteering, like a volunteer position, I think all of those things contribute to blocks in our money mindset. Like we can hear the answer, but we can't see it or receive it. Um, and I think that COVID actually gave people an opportunity to take a step back and go, you know, it's time for me to clean up some of these areas. It's time for me to clean up my relationship with myself or others. It's time for me to literally clean up because now I'm on Zooms all day. <laughs> and there's all the piles around me are not really helpful on these Zoom calls or whatever that looks like for you. So actually in our community, I've received overwhelmingly um, good responses and it, it felt very uh, what's the word? I, I don't know. I don't want to say counterintuitive. It felt very counter to what I was hearing in media or maybe talking to other people. It, it didn't seem, you know, in alignment with that. But my clients were literally saying the complete opposite about the peace that they had. Not that it was easy and not that, you know, financially there were not challenges, but they've also learned how to work on other parts of their life in the process that that creates the space and that margin to handle whatever's coming with their finances so it doesn't create you know overwhelming stress wow yeah absolutely and i think what you've said is great about you know bringing other things into focus and with your approach of the six pillars which we do have a giveaway for later in the live stream 
Um, you know, it's really not just about singularly focusing on money, right? But about what, about the environment of your entire life and, and how mm -hmm. money fits into that. So that's really valuable. Catherine, let's, let's take it to you. Now you're in the UK, obviously things are a little bit different there, but, um, you know, w things are global, but you are still in the UK. So tell us a little bit about what the year has been like for you in terms of working with people on money mindset and, um, the relationship that that's played in people. Yeah, great. So um, our business has been online for like about six years now. So from a like helping people with money perspective, not much has really changed for us. Like what, what we definitely saw was a couple of reoccurring patterns. So um, for those people who have never heard of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Maslow was a, an American psychologist and he talked about the, the kind of pyramid of needs that people require in order to reach self-fulfillment and one of the things that I've definitely found is that a lot of people have really been focusing on the emotional part of what keeps them connected like you know my, we often use money in in a way to help us feel more connected more connected to ourself our sense of self our spirituality our health our well-being our relationships and what I've really found in the last 12 months is where people have not been able to connect with people that they love it's really like shaken the foundations of what Maslow talks about with, in terms of people's psychological needs. So what we've really seen is, is a quite a big impact on people's mental health. Um, and, and it kind of gone in two different directions, actually. Some people have been financially in a much better position because they're not traveling, they're not going into the city, you know, they're working from home. Other people have been like the complete opposite where maybe they're a like we've got lots of like wedding photographers and female entrepreneurs in our in our money circle and you know they've had their businesses just swiped and they've had the pressures of homeschooling children so it's really been like a, a big 50 50 split between people who have been financially better off and been able to maybe pay down debts um as opposed to people who have just you know completely had their income swipes um from underneath their feet and i think this really brings up a couple of things for us around one about the impact of consumerism and second of all the impact of the importance that money has with our mental health and our mental well-being um because i think that when we look at things like covid you know it really forces people to confront their mor their mortality you know you know when people we unfortunately lost my nan to covid and she was in her 90s bless her but you know it really gets you to readjust and rethink about well you know what's most important to us now what do we need more of and what do we need less of mm -hmm. in our life and and so for me we've just really seen that, that the communities have come together in you know, much more strongly People are reaching out to support each other, just really seeking that human connection. Um, and I definitely think that's been depicted and demonstrated through people's spending and saving behaviours. You know, we're spending differently. We're spending in ways that do bring us closer together, like in whatever way is even possible right now. <laughs> we're still in lockdown over here, so we, can't, we pretty much can't see anybody and haven't done like since Christmas. So... Um, so yeah, those are kind of some of the changes that we've, we've seen over here. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Um, so we're going to pass it to Jeremy, but before we do, Jeremy, I'm going to have to ask you to answer two questions at once here, a bit of a catch up. Let's um, do it. 
what are some things, so I want to hear, Jeremy, from you about some things you've seen in the past year in terms of, you know, the people you work with, but also just in general about, um, you know, people's relationship with money. And then I'd like to hear from all of you because you all really work with people about healing their money mindset. What are some tools that you've utilized and what are some practices that people can implement in terms of increasing their money mindset and repairing maybe a damaged relationship with money or a strange relationship with money or a relationship with money where they have a past association or, or a, you know, like a trauma, like a few of you have mentioned. Yeah. So Jeremy, we'll hand it to you and then we'll go to Patrice and Kat. I love it. Awesome. Thank you. What I've noticed, at least from the last year is because COVID, in my opinion, there was a lot of pros and a lot of cons, but one of the biggest pros is it forced people to spend more time with their family and spend more time at home and realize the value of their time. Because as we are discussing money, you've heard a very popular phrase, time is money, but time is even more important than money. It's truly the only asset you have. Rich people have money, wealthy people have time. So figuring out that amazing correlation between time and the value of your time, how much each hour is really worth, right? How much each minute is really worth. How much each day is worth and knowing how specific you can how specific you can get and tactical and detailed and precise is what has helping uh, a lot of people because once they understand that they can start really really moving forward that's a very tactical approach i mean knowing exactly how much your time is worth allows you to either keep or remove certain action items and certain things and certain tasks from your life, doing more of the things that bring more money and more joy to you and doing the less of the things that don't. At least that's my opinion. Um, as far as tools go, without question, the stock market. Uh, I'm sure most of you realize I'm, I'm the stock market specialist. That's my, my specialty is really focusing on liquid and intangible assets. So time, stocks, cryptocurrencies, Assets that people can buy and exchange immediately and quickly and liqu and liquidly. And I think that's an amazing tool and a really, really, really wonderful gift is having people to understand that the stock market is not scary. It is something that everyone can do. It's something that everyone has access to. It doesn't matter what skin color you are, where you live, how old you are, or how much money you have. Every single person has access to it. Every single person can interact with it, be with it. Uh, in, ex in exchange with it and grow their net worth with it. Um, there's a game called Cash Flow, which was created by Sharon Lechner and Robert Kiyosaki from the um, from the game Rich Dad Poor Dad and Cash Flow Quadrant, which everyone here has read and listened to. I'm sure that game, the way you win it is you decrease your expenses and you buy stocks, which quickly elevate your cash flow. And then you take that cash flow and you go buy assets, additional assets with it, albeit real estate or business. And so one of my favorite terms that people love these days is cash is trash, cash flow is king. So unless you have cash flow, you're generally relatively poor because your cash, not only is it losing value because of inflation, you also can be losing money just by sitting there without it doing anything. And that doesn't mean that you have to always be circulating your money. But it does mean that you have the ability to know how tactically. I think it was uh, Patricia who used that word, tactical. Having very, very specific, important, tactical pieces that you can do, tools that you can interact with 
And one of those tools is the stock market apps like Robinhood and Webull and Trade Zero, Interactive Brokers, Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade. They literally have now free commission. Free. Like, I mean, for a dollar value, it doesn't cost much or any money monetarily at all to place a trade. So now someone with 300 extra dollars can learn how they too can be involved and engaged in the stock market. And in my opinion, that's one of the most liberating feelings in the world to know that anyone has the ability to interact and is smart enough and is good enough and is knowledgeable enough to go, yeah, this stock is going to go up for these particular reasons. Let me interact with it. Let me own this asset. Let me be a part of this asset. For example, all of you, everyone who's listening here right now knows precisely why Wayfair went up 800% in the last year. Wayfair, right? Everyone's staying home. Therefore, they're going to do what? They're going to renovate their offices, their houses, their kitchens, bedrooms, whatever. They're yeah, they're going to buy Wayfair, furniture. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, they're buying furniture. And we all know that. We can all piece that puzzle together and they're going to continually doing that. It's not, it's not a brand new experiment. Same thing with Shopify, right? The company Shopify, e-commerce has gone through the window. So Shopify up 700% in the last six months. I mean, these returns are astronomical and they're not something that is brand new to the stock market. Anyone can take advantage of companies like, oh, I don't know, Tesla. It's up a thousand percent, a thousand <laughs> in the last 14 calendar months. That's insane. And everyone knows what Tesla is. Many people have test driven a test, test driven a Tesla. You might not own one, but you've interacted with that product. You know what that product is. I mean, Catherine or Norma or anyone who's the, the, the Yeti, the cup, right? The cup that puts ice that contains your ice and cold water and hot drinks. Yeti is up 600%. Since COVID came yeah. out. Yeah, absolutely. That's really empowering, Jeremy. I think also, you know, just knowing that we're in an age where anyone can, you know, take the initiative themselves, that's really powerful. Bingo. And Patrice, yeah, absolutely. So, Patrice, we're going to move it to you. And you have your six pillars of wealth, which is really fantastic. So, in terms of tools that people can apply, to their lives in terms of repairing or strengthening that m relationship with money. Talk a little bit to that. Yeah, so for me, a great tool that I don't think that enough people know about is actually financial therapy. So it's still relatively new in the marketplace. You know, it's gotten more popular the last couple of years, but I think it's really important for anyone who's listening live or to the replay to know that you know, we can talk about money mindset and, and we can say, oh, well, I've used affirmations or yeah. I've, I've, you know, done all of this positive thinking. But the truth is that many people have experienced financial trauma. And for most of us, it, it could have happened in adolescence. It did happen in adolescence well beyond, you know, well before the age of even 15 or 16 years old. You may have seen, heard or experienced something about money that really left a, a, an impact on you. And you may not be thinking about it consciously, but subconsciously it is literally 
determining why you do today at 30, 40, 50 years old, the things that you do with your money, no matter what you say as a financial resolution for the year. You know, we do that. We make a financial re resolution January 1st. This is the year I'm going to save, you know, $5,000. And then December 31st, we're like, okay, next year is the year. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, how many people here have done that? Right. Like, like let's, let's how many people here have done that? You know what I'm saying? Right. Mm -hmm. For some of us, it is that, OK, we could read a book and all of a sudden implement what we read in the book or we could see something on the news or we could hear someone like Jeremy talking about the stock market and go, hey, I'm not going to be afraid anymore. I'm going to jump in. But then there's there's some of us where. It's not even always from a place of scarcity because there's also such a thing as financial guilt where you had access to money. You may have been born into money and still you're doing things to sabotage. I think a useful, practical, um, accessible tool for us all is financial therapy. If it is, if you are beyond the just, okay, I'm aware of why I may be doing this, but I'm still in this habit, this cycle of doing it. The truth is you may need therapy and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but not just any therapy, financial therapy, because you want to be able to use evidence-based interventions, exercises, practices to help you really get deep down to that root and start to develop new habits. And it's okay if you can't do that on your own. Um, you know, I want to go back to the top of when I first spoke, I just talked about the shame and the guilt and, and embarrassment that a lot of us have around money. And so we don't ask for help. We don't seek wisdom, which is my Instagram handle, right? Seek wisdom is my reminder to always be okay with saying, I'm not, I don't know what I don't know. So can I get some support here? And if you know that no matter what I've read, no matter what I listen to, my thoughts around money are not serving me when I, when I have to talk about money or when I have to open a bill, when I walk to the mailbox, I feel you know, knots in my stomach. I'm perspiring. It literally makes me physically sick when I have to make financial decisions. If when it's time to have a conversation about money, you get beyond uncomfortable, right? Like you just don't want to do it. You'd rather say, hey, whatever you want to do, even if it's to your own detriment, you avoid the conversation. If you just know that your behavior is not in alignment with what you see for yourself, what you see, not just for yourself, but for your family, for your legacy, then a practical next step for you would be to go to financialtherapyassociation.org and find a, a licensed financial therapist in your area and, and ask for the support you need. Because again, you can know all the skill set things, but if that mindset is challenged, you're never going to implement what you already know. Wow. Patrice, that's fantastic. I mean, I think a lot of people have not heard of financial therapy, myself included, who has worked in wellness as well. So that's phenomenal. Thank you so much for that. We're going to pass it to, and what was that website again? Financialtherapyassociation.com. Is that right? Dot org. Financialtherapyassociation.org. And I'll drop it in Finan the chat. Thank you. Patrice is going to drop that in the chat for everybody. And that's just such a valuable insight and resource. Thank you. Financial therapyassociation.org. Amazing. Catherine, we're going to pass it to you now for tools, and then we're going to wrap up with Christina, and then we'll go into the giveaways, which I think is everybody is looking forward to. Um, so Catherine, talk a little bit about tools for money mindset that you've implemented with your community and business as well. 
Yeah, great. I'm so glad that somebody's mentioned financial therapy. Like, Patrice, like, I'm so happy you've mentioned that because um, I've actually done some work very recently with the Financial Therapy Association, the FTA, because in the UK, like, it, it doesn't exist at all. Like, there's no financial therapies at all in the UK. And this is something that I want to um, to pioneer over here. So what's what's interesting for me about this, and there's a really useful tool which I'm going to share with you, actually, which was developed by a guy called Brad Klonst, who some of you may have heard of. He's an American psychologist. And what Brad Klonst talks about is this link between trauma and intergenerational wealth patterns. And he shares an incredible exercise. It's, it's exercise called the Money Atom Exercise, which um, we have an episode actually on our in a financial issues podcast specifically on the Money Atom Exercise. So you can download that. But it really gets you thinking about some of the traumas that we carry don't even belong to us. And what I find really fascinating is the question: Whose shame are we carrying? You know, so when we feel money shame, whose shame is that that we are carrying? Now, obviously, if you've had trauma yourself and, you know, many people who have an impulsive, spontaneous relationship with money, there's lots of research to show that 90% of people who have a spontaneous relationship with money have suffered some kind of financial abuse or personal abuse in their childhood. And that's where I think financial therapy is incredibly powerful, because if we continue to hold on to some of the beliefs and the narratives because of the impact of little traumas or big traumas, you know, COVID is a trauma, right, to our system. Divorce, separation, financial uh, abuse, people that are stuck in financial abusive relationships, for example, you know, all of these things are trauma to the brain and they can create stories and beliefs that can then go on to self-sabotage our financial behaviors so so the exercise that I wanted to share with you is the money atom exercise because what that does is it will help you to really think about whose shame are you maybe carrying and also you know what are the intergenerational patterns of beliefs that maybe you could actually trace back through the family history um, I had a conversation with my nan just just the other week she's like 96 year old years old and I was talking to her about her relationship with money. And what was really fascinating was that her husband, her first husband, my mum's dad, was in the uh, Shangi prisoner of war camps in the Second World War. And when he came out of the, he survived, he came out weighing like five and a half stone. And he died of a heart attack when my mum was 12. And his relationship with his body was clearly because of his traumatic situation that he'd experienced was really really impacted and my mum had a terrible relationship with her body and so did I and that's what actually led me into my first debt cycle in, in my teenage years so you know exploring generational patterns can really unlock a lot of curiosity around your beliefs around money and as Patricia's already said you know if if we've had personal trauma ourselves Seeking out financial support through therapy is, which I've experienced myself, is an incredible way to just let some of that shame go so that then you can be open to actually explore what beliefs are going to support you and what you need to let go of. So I hope that helps. No, Catherine, that's fantastic. Thank you. And I think, you know, intergenerational trauma is... And intergenerational beliefs, especially around money, are something that are is 
coming more and more into the mainstream. So that's really relevant for now and for the times that we're in, absolutely. And I think a lot of people are reassessing things that they didn't even know they were carrying and may not be theirs. So that's really valuable and valid, I think, for a lot of people's experience. So, Christina, we're going to... We're going to come to you for this one uh, to wrap up the panel. And then um, our Podbean team, Ronnie, will jump in with the giveaways. So, Christina, what are some tools and practices that you've implemented? Because, you know, you're a fantastic money coach as well, and you've had a practice for quite a while. And so what are some things that you've seen um, within your community? Yeah, so I ditto like what everybody else has said. I just love this panel. I feel like I know each of you intimately in a way, and I share all the same uh, beliefs and and um, you know just what, what everybody said on the panel. Every each of you, which I I find remarkable. I think there's so much there. But for me, just tactically, you know, everything that's been said is true. If we just get to you know like um, there's the investment tactics that you know were spoken. But again, tactically, what I find is the the most important thing to do, in and I even put it in my book that's called Falling for Money, uh, you know, a romantic relationship with you know with your money. It's a, it's the idea that if you we need to know like to create a personal relationship with it. Now, many times we have to do these other things to get here, but it's just where we want to feel grateful for everything coming in versus this place where we're feeling like just being regretful or resentful or, you know, just that there's never enough. So we're focused on what's not there or there's never enough as opposed to being grateful for what there is, for what, you know, for what we do have and what we are bringing in. And I say, you know, appreciate what you want to appreciate. And it's, it's just, that's across the board, but especially with money as well. And so the idea of just, versus avoiding it or even if we're afraid to pay or but you know get the mailbox and look at the bills like we've discussed that's the that's the thing we have to get over that the first step is really to get in our books have our money organized create this really nice intimate relationship start to make it more loving and kind as opposed to avoiding it and, and distancing from it and when we can start doing that that's when we can start to change things and granted you know there's so many deep emotions and fears that that keep us from from doing this work but just you know, we need to all your money needs to be one place you know it needs to be we need to you know have certain financial systems or structures where where we know our numbers we see our dashboards how much money's coming in how much money's coming out what buckets we're sweeping our money into to make sure that we're covered in all these different categories of money but ultimately, it's just our behavior with money. What is our, you know, the, we've talked about the beliefs and how important those are. But the second piece are what are the behaviors? And it's usually, you know, once we work on our beliefs now, we need to really look at those behaviors and what money behaviors are serving us and what money behaviors are keeping us stuck or self-sabotaging or it's just keeping us in a place where we're not growing. And and the more that we can just be in, be in with our money and spend time with it, like a real relationship, I say, you know, imagine that, you have a, a significant other and you neglect the significant other. You don't spend any time with him or her. You don't really talk to him or her. You avoid him or her. You know, when important conversation comes up, you dodge it, you sweep things under the rug. I mean, obviously that relationship's going to suffer. 
and money's no different. I like to think of it like money's a terrible master, but it's a really incredible servant. It's like a dog. You know, you can have a dog that's untrained and pees on the carpet and barks and, you know, jumps on people when they come over and, you know, nobody likes the dog. Or you can have a dog that's so well behaved and it's so because it feels so loved and taken care of because it's walked and it's fed and it's been trained and it has commands and it gets lots of time and love and attention. That dog just gives it back, you know, in spades. That's why we love dogs that way. Our money can do the same for us when we do have that same kind of relationship and we're its master and we tell it what we want to do. And that's all in how we behave with our money. So I'd sum it up, just get in your books and start really creating that really close, intimate, loving, kind, compassionate, appreciative, grateful relationship with our money. What a great thought to end our panel on. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and dive into some of our giveaways. Uh, the first thing is a giveaway that is uh, something that is available to everybody. And that is a free month's membership to uh, Catherine's Money Circle membership. Uh, just use the code Podbean at the URL that is uh, listed in the chat there. And that is CatherineMorgan.com slash join dash now. Uh, you got to hop on that pretty quick, though, because it does expire seven days after the event. Though, if uh, you do have any questions about it, I will be linking my email in the chat as well. So you can always reach out and we can help get things sorted. For our second giveaway, this is going to be for uh, Patrice's cheat sheet to the six pillars of wealth. So the first person to send an emoji in the chat, uh, we'll go ahead and get you hooked up with that. Oh, looks like <laughs> looks like Drew Ship was our winner for this particular uh, giveaway here. So I'm going to go ahead and put my email in the chat. Go ahead and contact me and we'll get you connected so we can get you that giveaway prize. So thank you so much, everybody, for coming to uh, today's panel. Thank you so much for coming to uh, Finance Podcast Week. Uh, we thank everybody for joining us on this fantastic live stream, Money Mindset, with Christina, uh, Christina Weiss from the Wealthy Wealthy Podcast, Jeremy Newsom from the Broke to Woke Podcast, uh, Patrice Washington from Redefining Wealth, and Catherine Morgan from In Her Financial Shoes. If you joined late or if you want to have another listen to this amazing panel or any of, of the other panels that we've had this week, uh, you can always replay this panel on the Finance Podcast Week channel. Finance Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetizing platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for this session, you can see that we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience. For everyone listening, uh, you can also start your own live stream for free right on Podbean. Uh, the content of Finance Podcast Week is for informational purposes only, and you should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on our site, live streams, and podcasts constitute a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Podbean or any other third-service uh, third provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments. And with that, thank you guys so much again for joining today's live stream. We will catch you tomorrow for our next live stream, and we hope you guys have a fantastic day. Thanks so much. Thanks, Patrice. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. This is our last panel for today, Saturday. Our panels will resume tomorrow at 12 p.m. Eastern time with uh, our very first panel of tomorrow is investing for millennials. And then we've got market predictions 2021, real estate, crypto roundup, and making your money work for you. So 
today was a great day two of Finance Podcast Week. If you missed any of these panels, you can jump in and replay them. And we've got five more tomorrow. So we cover everything from real estate to crypto, personal finance, markets, investing for millennials. So come check it out tomorrow. And thank you again to our amazing panelists here today. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye.